Welcome to the Hacking the Hustle podcast show. This is your host, Benjamin Sklar, and I'm very excited to have Andrew Gluck on the show today. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm great. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So for those listening, a little background on Andrew. Andrew is the current founder and GP of Irreverent VC, which is an early stage fund investing in next-gen commerce, ad tech, and DDC companies. Over the past decade, he's managed over $2 billion in ad spend on platforms like Facebook, Google, Snapchat, Pinterest, and he co-founded in 2014 an ad agency called Agency Within, which is now called Within, which grew to be the largest independent digital marketing agency in the U.S. So really excited to have Andrew on the show today to talk about his background and why he's currently raising a fund. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was an awesome intro. I got to I gotta bring you everywhere with me to just make that intro to everyone. Well, that's my job as the host. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Let's kick it off. Tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So um, my background, I went to school, um, studied economics, uh, also studied some other things, um, but, you know, really loved kind of the marriage of math and uh, and psychology and human behavior. And so that's why economics was really interesting to me. Um, straight out of school, I worked at a small B2B company. Um, and this was 2010, 20, 2011, actually. Um, and was owning uh, paid digital for them pretty quickly. Um, the team, you know, there didn't really have a background in it. They were looking to hire someone to take it over, learn Google advertising, uh, paid search, Bing advertising, um, this is back in the day when, you know, there wasn't as much information as there is nowadays, not all the gurus and courses online. Um, I remember like taking out like a giant, like four or 500 page book, paper, think, think out it was paperback, but it was giant, like textbook almost. Um, used to read that on the subway, learning about match types and ad creative and click through rates and everything like that. Um, so I spent about a decade in the digital space, did that. Then I worked at, um, Quidzy, which is an Amazon subsidiary, ran performance digital marketing, so digital customer acquisition for diapers.com, which was the flagship site, and then for wag.com, their pet site. Um, did the same thing, owned digital customer acquisition at the vitamin shop, um, and they were a $100 million e-com biz, plus they also had 900 stores nationwide, so it was really interesting to learn about online and offline, about how if you get customers to shop both, they end up being better customers, you bring in customers on one channel, you get them to cross shop from offline to online, buy in store, pick up, or buy buy online, pick up in store, buy in store, get shipped to your house, like all these different methodologies to really bring that value prop to the customer. And then in 20, late 2014, um, left Vitamin Shop, co-founded a digital marketing agency called Agency Within, um, as you alluded to and mentioned, um, grew to be the largest independent digital marketing agency in the U.S., managed billions of dollars and spend on these platforms like Google and Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, uh, OTT content, um, everything else, direct mail, um, and worked with a lot of venture capital back brands and then also a lot of enterprise brands. So on the VC side, worked with brands like Coop, Rothy's, Bandir, Zola, Lola, um, Helix Sleep, Trade Coffee, and then on the enterprise side, um, brands like Intuit, Shake Shack, Spanx, Etsy, and then of course Nike.com, um, running performance marketing for, for them in North America. Um, did that for about four years, had a successful exit in 2018, 
And then at the time was trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do next in, in the space, realized that there were things that I loved at the agency and there were things that I did love at the agency. And so wanted to find the parts that I loved and do more of that. Um, and that was really focused on the early stage um, startup space. Like really loved working with founders and founding teams who have this passion and energy and ambition um, to just go get it every day, right? Get from that zero to one, find product market fit, and then, you know, scale the heck out of it. Um, so started doing some investing, a little bit of advising the space, um, ended up over the next two and a half, three years um, doing uh, about 25 direct investments as an angel, um, including, you know, some breakout hits along the way, um, like Lunchbox, which is like a Shopify for restaurants. It was the first check in there. So first investor um, advised them and they've since gone on to raise uh, a pretty large Series A. So they raised a, that was their pre-seed round. They raised a seed round, then a Series A and already coming up on starting to go out to raise a Series B soon. Um, invested in Caraway, which is a direct consumer kitchenware brand that if you're on Instagram and you haven't seen an ad yet, um, you're probably the only one. Um, they're growing tremendously quickly. Um, invested in Branch Furniture, who was originally focused on um, office furniture and selling B2B. Um, they were always going to launch D2C, but then with the pandemic, they pivoted into launching that way more quickly crush D2C, now crushing D2C and B2B and what they're doing there is amazing. Um, and so I've been, you know, fortunate to invest in some amazing founders, amazing teams, um, and had a pretty good track record in terms of finding these early stage deals, getting allocation based on finding and sourcing deals. And then also founders wanted me on the cap table, given my digital marketing background and, digital, and, and skills in that space. Um, and so off of that strength, um, went out and raised a fund, um, still raising a fund, but um, raised a fund through AngelList rolling funds, um, where I'll be doing the same thing, investing in the, you know, earliest stages and in, in kind of three core areas in direct consumer, ad tech, and next-gen commerce, and focused on just, you know, increasing the impact, increasing the check size, 150K to 350K check size, doing two to three deals per quarter, and just excited to go after it. Incredible. What a story. What a background. What's it like right now raising a fund? What challenges are you facing? Sure. Um, so, you know, for me, I think like one of the challenges I'm having is both a challenge and, and, uh, and a benefit, I guess, is I decided to do this through rolling fund. And so quick, like 30 second tangent on a rolling fund. A rolling fund is kind of like the perfect intermediary between like an SPV and a traditional fund. Um, the LPs are cross-collateralized across each quarter that they invest in. So it acts like a fund for them. But as an emerging GP, as someone who's you know still emerging, emerging manager, you know, raising, you know, emerging managers raising the first two, three funds, um, and I'm raising my first, it's a really great springboard to start those capital relationships and, and get those conversations going. So it's been phenomenal. Um, I think one of the challenges is that it's still not widely accepted by some of the family offices and institutional investors. So individual investors, um, high net worth individuals kind of get it and, and are, are okay with it. The truth is it doesn't much matter. Um, but for some of the institutional funds and family offices, fund the funds, it's still just new enough um, where there's, there's some hesitations there. Um, and then I'd say, you know, as an emerging manager who's targeting, you know, around the seven to $10 million fund, 
still a little bit on the smaller side for some of those family offices and fund the funds in terms of their allocation sizes. Got it. If I was a founder looking to raise a seed round, what would you want to see in me? Sure. I, I, I think for me, one of the things that I definitely over-index in is, is founder market fit. Um, so it's founders who have kind of some leg up, you know, in some ways by having been in an industry or been tangentially or, you know, in that industry that they're going and tackling adjacent to, um, or have kind of seen that problem and experienced it firsthand. Um, that's something that, you know, I, I love because for me, investing at the early stages, you're really investing in, in the team and in the team plus market and in that fit. And so you want to find founders who have, there's a few things you get when you have this founder market fit. One is you have this differentiated perspective. So you're going to approach the problem in a way that someone who doesn't have that background, you know, and is coming from the outside, you know, might, might be taking a different approach. Um, two, you're going to have the network, right? So whether that's, hey, I actually have, uh, you know, oh, I have the perfect CTO because I've been working with, with this person for a long time, you know, at this other company and I'm going to bring him or her in as the CTO. Oh, I actually already have, you know, two, three beta customers that are going to sign up for this because I know them from my network. We were in the same position at different companies and they were experiencing the same issue, same problem. And so I, I know it'll be very, you know, easy for me to start selling into, into those places. And that kind of just kickstarts you and gets you going versus sometimes, listen, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Um, and there's plenty of, you know, first-time founders who don't have background and experience in industry who have tremendous success. Um, but for me, that's that's one place that I I've tend to tend to over-index. And I think you can kind of substitute traction for for that, or you know, research and obsession about the problem for that founder market fit. Um, but if you can kind of get all of them, if you have founder market fit, you're obsessed about the problem. And you have some traction, kind of showing that that growth um, already, and that's that's where the magic happens. What lessons have you learned these past few months trying to raise a fund that you wish you knew before you started? Um, one that's like is still really hard for me to internalize um, is uh, that having a anti-portfolio. So anti-portfolio for those that might not know is kind of the companies that you've passed on that have gone on to be really successful. That having an anti-portfolio is actually just, just is a position of, you know, strength. It's a, it's a signal. It's a good signal, not a negative signal. Meaning it means that when you are, that you are seeing better and better deals, that your deal flow is getting better. Yes take some learnings from, Hey, I missed this. I didn't see, I didn't see this about this founder that is clearly there, this grit determination about the founder, about the market, about their approach, whatever the case may be. Um, it's a, you know, I think, uh, I think the quote is attributed to Buffett. It's investing is a no called strikes, you know, uh, sport, meaning you don't lose out on your misses on passing on deals. Um, and, um, this actually, I think, uh, comes from Harry Stebbings, uh, you know, 20 VC, where he said, you know, that if you're in this industry long enough, your misses are going to way outweigh your hits, right? Because if you're looking, you know, the classic trope is you're looking at a thousand deals a year, and then you're really burning down into maybe the top 50 and then investing in the top 10 of those. 
So even of the 50 that you, you know, the 40 that you passed out of those, forget about the other 950 that you didn't even really bar down into, there's going to be some winners there because you saw something that, you know, made you take a meeting that made you, you know, go back and forth, maybe communicate async with the, with the founder or founders. Um, so you're going to, you're going to, misses are kind of a good attribute and not a negative. Um, obviously, again, try to learn from them, but that's something I think as a, you know, as a emerging manager, that's been challenging to internalize and especially someone who, you know, who's pretty competitive and likes to win. Um, it, it's been a, it's, it's been a lesson that I'm still learning, I would say. Interesting. I want to learn about the conversations that you're having with investors. Let's say I was an investor and I had an extra hundred K or a million to invest. And I was considering putting it in the stock market, NFTs and crypto, a real estate deal. And then someone introduced me to you, Andrew, and I, and you came to my office and you pitched me why I should give you my money. What do you say? What's your pitch? Yeah. I, I think, first of all, I, I do think, you know, everyone should have exposure to, to, to all the kind of asset classes that you mentioned. Right. And everyone's in a different financial position to start with, but let's just say that someone has X disposable, you know, just, disposable income or, or investable income net worth that they're, that they're looking to invest. Right. And you want to be kind of differentiating your approach and real estate's a great asset class to get exposure. It's, you know, backed by hard assets. Um, there's really favorable tax um, advantages to it. It's generally a cash flowing asset, so You're going to get dividends along the way. Um, at the same time, like you should have 10, five to 15% of your, you know, of, of this investable income net worth uh, into, into some of these alternative into in, in asset classes, alternative investments. Those could include crypto, which includes NFTs, includes Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, and Solana coin, other, other coins as well. Um, you should have exposure to, you know, potentially to hedge funds and potentially also to, to VC. I think the asset class of VC to me, um, the, the, the beauty of it is, and this is also is one of the most important things to learn, is asymmetric upside. It's all about the parallels, right? You can invest, those are kind of two different things or, or coins, two different sides, same coin. Asymmetric upside, meaning when you invest in a in VC, you can lose your capital, but the upside is tremendous. There's stories of, of 50, 100, 1,000 X right? And you generally don't get that same, those same types of results in other asset classes, in, in real estate, for example, or in the stock market, right? And, you know, in the stock market, people talk about 10 baggers a lot, you know, 10xing, 10xing, and th those are phenomenal returns to get in any asset class. But in VC, you're really looking for outliers and, and outliers are generally ones where you're getting 50 to 100x plus returns. And so that's something that you generally don't see in the other asset classes. You see it now in crypto and in NFTs. And, you know, there's there's a lot of craziness there. And I, I have exposure in the space and I recommend people have the exposure in the space as well. Um, and then if you're looking at gaining exposure and, and investing in VC as an asset class, there's a few different ways to do it, right? And one is as an angel, investing directly yourself. One is investing in a fund. One is investing in deal by deals and syndicates, and they all have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, I think it really kind of depends on, on what you're looking for. I think um, 
I had a conversation with another emerging manager and we coined together this term, um, emerging LPs. There's a lot of LPs that are actually emerging mm -hmm. off of the scene in terms of trying and starting to get um, exposure to the asset class. And I think you have to rank kind of what are you trying to do? One is, it is all about returns. Um, one is about learning, one is about networking. Um, and then there's, you know, other, other things that are kind of tangential to, to that one is supporting friends, family ideas that you believe in founders, um, that you believe in. Right. So, and for most people, it's not one or the other, it's kinds of combination of all of them. Right. Um, you know, are you, you know, an executive at a late stage company, who by investing in a fund that focuses on this company, you know, focuses on, you know, your industry or your sector, but at the earliest stages, are you just, yes, you want to make money and get, you know, you know, 20, 30, 40% IRR off the fund, which would be amazing, but you're, it's really about, Hey, I want exposure and I want to be learning about this and I want to network with these founders and connect, you know, so that I could bring some of those ideas back, you know, back to, to, to my company, potentially acquire those companies, partner with those companies. Right. And everyone has different motivations, um, which is totally cool. And, and I think one of the best parts about ventures and asset class is how cooperative it is um, in terms of, because you have generally people that are looking for not just pure returns, but also I won't even, I, won't, I don't wanna you know, drink the Kool-Aid too much and say altruistic, but some combination of Putting good back in the ecosystem. There's a lot of exited founders that are trying to pay it forward, um, that have had success, you know, and, and try to nurture and bring bring along the next the next generation of founders. There's a lot of just good in the industry, um, and it's really one of the most exciting parts about being in it. Let's talk about the macro of the industry as a whole. What's going on? Tell me about the trends that we need to know about. Yeah, I mean, the number one trend is the valuations, right? The valuations are you know, going up, uh, some would call them obscene. Some, I think uh, there was a, a fund of funds, uh, Elizabeth um, Beezer uh, Clarkson. So she's uh, Elizabeth. Uh, yeah, so she was saying, you know, spicy valuations are getting really spicy. Uh, um, and, and I think there's, you know, multiple reasons for that. One is the exits are larger than ever, right? So when looking at um, companies staying private longer, but also just the markets are growing and are way larger than, we or we as you know as underwriters of these businesses um, as VCs thought that they might be. So where typically funds would underwrite, you know, 500 million, a billion dollar outcomes, it's these big outcomes. Now funds are underwriting three, four, five billion, 10, 25 billion dollar outcomes as potential exits. Um, and you're seeing that, right? You're seeing that with Stripe's worth, you know, 100 billion. SpaceX is worth over 100 billion. There's, there, you know, there's a bunch of others staying private longer than ever. Um, and so when you have that, then you have at, you know, the macroeconomic level, interest rates are basically zero. So you have tons of money and tons of capital that are trying to find places to go. And, and venture is an attractive asset class given the return profile um, of, of what, it, what it's been. Um, and then you also have um, some really awesome stuff on the, on the like earliest stages side in terms of just the technology, the education and information and access that founders have um, and network that founders have at the earliest stages to kind of, you know, yes, people used to invest, you know, at seed valuations of, you know, two to $3 million. 
But those were companies that, you know, barely incorporated. Now, when companies are going raising a two, $3 million seed round, you know, at a 10, 12, 15, $20 million valuation, they've gotten much farther, right? They've launched that, they've built and launched an MVP. You know, maybe they don't have, you know, product market fit yet, but they've launched an MVP versus, you know, what used to be called the seed stage is really slotted to like pre-seed incubation, friends and family rounds. Um, and so, between what's going on with AWS, between no code, low code, uh, proliferation of talent, um, the ability to connect with anyone online. Um, you know, I wouldn't say startups are easy by any, any stretch of the imagination, but getting to a product and building a product has never been easier. Um, and so that's, you don't have companies that are necessarily going out and raising just on you know, a deck or just on a whim of, hey, like we're, we're founders and we're focusing on this market. It's like, we're founders, we're focusing on this market. We launched and tested this MVP. Here's our, you know, LTV, here's our CAC, here's our go-to-market strategy. And it's, you know, they've, they've thought about and obsessed research and, and, and launch a product on, you know, a couple, you know, 25, 30, $50,000 of their own money of friends and family. And I know not everyone's privileged to be able to do that, but you know, and that's what's pushing up these valuations in a lot of ways too. Got it. Tell me about your investment strategy. What's your vision for the future? Yeah, I, um, I, I go back to being the best version of yourself. Um, it's one of the things that I think I've, you know, uh, people, I think one other way people talk about it is, you know, delegate your weaknesses and double down on your strengths. I think for me, uh, it's focus on the areas where I can, source well, diligence well, and add value. And for me, that's direct to consumer, just given my background, seeing a hundred different companies in the space intimately and running their marketing. Um, ad tech, spending a billion, two billion, three billion dollars online in the space over the past 10 years. And next-gen commerce, just constantly thinking about e-commerce, what's wrong with it, how to make it better, how to grow it. Um, and that's where my network is, right? And that's where I've kind of planted a flag and and where a lot of my cold inbound comes from in the space of, oh, hey, I know you've, you know, you've thought a lot about DOC. Oh, hey, you know, I know you're invested in Caroline House and Cheeky and all these direct consumer companies or, oh, I saw you're invested in MarPipe in the ad tech space or um, call commerce in the next gen commerce space. And so I just need to be the best version of myself, which is still focusing on the early stages over-indexing on this founder market fit, over-indexing on, you know, really just finding the best teams in these spaces and just kind of continue to do that. I think for me, the goal with this fund is to prove out, I think, again, it's paper, markups are insane, but I've proven that, you know, I have access to great deal flow. I have the ability to pick well, get allocation into, into, into great companies, help them get to the next stage, be a little bit of part of the journey. It's all the founders, founding teams, employees, don't take anything away from them, um, but help a little bit along the way. Proving that as an angel, now it's time to prove that as a fund. See that that can kind of stretch and grow with larger check sizes, larger you know involvement, and then you know kind of just grow from there in terms of you know you know the idea is still continue to focus on the early stages, um, still focus on these kind of core areas, but see if I can kind of grow and and right now. Um, one of my, you know, friends in space, he said, you know, we're, 
they're just announced their fund too. Like they've grown, you know, now they're, now they're not just a fund, they're a firm, right? Like that's the goal right now. It's a fund and I'm raising a fund, right? Then you have to build a firm, right? And building a firm is a whole other thing. And that's almost like building your own startup within the space, right? Um, in terms of relationships, capital relationships, LP relationships, founder relationships, um, other co-investors, upstream investors, downstream investors, and really building that. And that's like, you know, kind of the next iteration and phase uh, of what, you know, I'm looking, try, look, trying, trying to do. Sounds like you have your head on the swivel and you know what's going on. If someone's listening and they want to reach out to you and can, and talk about your fund, how should they go about doing that? Yeah, um, everyone's always you know welcome to submit um, as founders. Uh, you could submit at irreverent.com. There's a you know a form to submit, um, or you can email me as a founder, Andrew at irreverent.io. Don't email me and ask me if you could send the deck. Just send the deck, and I'll take a look. Um, and then if you're an LP interested in learning more, um, you know, reach out, Andrew at irreverent.com. Uh, if you're a you know, co-investor, uh, you know, look at similar spaces in similar stages, would love to connect and chat. If you invest at later stages, I have plenty of portfolio companies to send your way, give me some markups and everything else. Um, but always, always excited to, to chat with other investors and learn from them and exchange ideas. Uh, so feel free to reach out. I'll give a personal testimonial. I, as a former founder, reached out to Andrew and he really gave me his honest opinion and critical feedback with my startup journey. So I really know that you know what you're talking about and any founder would appreciate and be lucky to have you on their team. So before I go, Andrew, before you go, I'm going to ask you my signature question, which is if there was one thing you could do to improve this world, what would you do and why? That's a great question. Um, I think there's a lot of challenges in the world right now. Um, unfortunately, same time, I think the world has gotten a lot better um, in a lot of ways. Um, I think for me, it would probably be in the, you know, in, in the environment environmental space I think you know enacting a carbon tax at the end of the day right now like again I studied economics um, as an undergrad I'm a big believer in externalities um, and uh, that economics the economic framework can fix a lot of a lot of problems or, or, or help in that regard and I think one of the one of the things that I don't love currently about a lot of what's going on in the carbon space is a lot of it's being pushed to the consumer and plastic straws help um, giving you know adding a dollar checkout for carbon offsets helps all the all these things help at the end of the day if we are able to come together and act the carbon tax place on businesses businesses will figure it out and they'll they'll be able to um, and yes some of that additional costs are going to be passed back to consumers, but some of that's going to go into investing in the best places that are going to reduce the most carbon, that are going to, that are going to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, that are going to you know, drive towards electric vehicles, drive towards uh, nuclear power and things like that. So I'm a big, big believer in the carbon tax. Really, really interesting. All right, Andrew, awesome to have you on the show. Really informative and eye-opening to hear what you had to say. And I'll Add your links to the show notes. Thanks so much, Andrew.
Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. See ya. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Andrew Gluck, the founder and GP of Irreverent VC. I learned a lot about what it takes to start a early stage venture capital firm, and I hope you did as well. All right, see you at the next episode. Mm-hmm.